A storm makes a mess. John investigates the case. John and Mary meet Grace. You're listening to Return to Gilead. A fan podcast for Don Gillian Lane. By two new fans of the show. And one old but avid fan. I'm Hannah Matlock. And I'm Michael LaFaver. And I'm Ryan Matlock. And today we are finishing our discussion of the season one finale of Down Gilead Lane, episode 13 on our return to Gilead. Uh, Hannah, we, we all know you by your alter ego on this podcast, and I... <laughs> I regret that I found out about that today as far as the recording session goes, uh, but <laughs> you, you know, why don't you give a quick background of who you are and uh, actually actually as Hannah and not as Lisa. Do you actually like <laughs> the action-packed episodes more than the, the Slice of Life ones? Um, no. I think I prefer <laughs> um, the, the Slice of Life ones. I honestly really enjoy slice of life in general mm-hmm. that's kind of my my go-to preference mm-hmm. so you're saying that freddie falstad is also not your favorite character <laughs> no <laughs> lies we're talking about truth last podcast this time we're <laughs> oops <laughs> but hannah quick we've we've heard about your experience with down gilead lane that you were familiar with it and that you introduced ryan to it who we're trying, still trying to figure out whether or not he introduced me to it. But what has your experience been with season one of the show? So I don't completely remember the show first airing. Like, I don't remember listening to season one for the first ever time. Mm-hmm. But I've definitely heard season one um, the most because that's the only album that uh, my parents purchased. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the rest of the albums I either heard on the radio or I heard after uh, Ryan and I purchased them. A couple of years ago, I've definitely heard season one the, the most often. <laughs> like that was my way to get my my Dan Gilead Lane fix after it was no longer on the radio. Honestly, I grew up with the characters. Um, if I remember correctly, Haley and I were about the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as the characters grew up, I grew up sort of alongside Haley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And it was it was a lot of fun that that kind of made it more personal and my older sister uh would have been about Brooke's age. So the closeness between the two sisters was very familiar to me as, you know, the closeness with um my sister and I. And I don't remember if I think my younger brother was a little bit younger than Timmy, but pretty close in age. So, you know, feeling that, those similarities, listening to the Morrisons, you know, it felt like there were a lot of similarities between them and our family. Well, that's really cool. So going into these episodes, I want to get your perspective on either the season as a whole, but uh, which would be which would be fun. But with these, we're talking about the overarching plot and sort of what you thought of that in the beginning here without spoilers for the rest of the series. But I'm wondering if it would be beating a dead horse to get your opinion on what Ryan and I were just talking about. What are your thoughts on that? That that is a tough question. So <laughs> Yeah, I it is. Say... I don't realize how tough these things are. <laughs> <laughs> I would say short answer is it's her life story and thus it's her prerogative whether she chooses Ooh. to tell or not. Okay. So not to give away any spoilers, but yes, it is Grace's story to tell. But if she were to avoid um, absolutely any information, even when asked directly, that would be a little bit more difficult. It is still her, her prerogative to tell or to not tell. 
And I see the benefit of preventing gossip, preventing information that it's not automatically anybody else's business. But it gets tricky when, or it could get tricky um, if someone were to ask direct questions and not get direct answers. How does that play into the kids knowing or not knowing? So in the cases of the parents, I can see why Grace would tell. She wants to communicate to the parents, kind of soothe their soothe their worries and sort of explain what is going on and kind of communicate that she is a safe adult for these kids to be around and to, to spend time with. In the case of the children, not to downplay children's ability to, like a child's ability to understand or to keep sensitive information to themselves um but they are still learning sort of some of those uh more sensitive social skills so on on one hand there might be you know the more people know about a sensitive issue or like a a sensitive bit of information um the more likely it is to get out where it shouldn't get out Mm -hmm. um and on another hand um some of the kids truly, I think, are too young for, like, some of the Morrison kids are truly too young at this point to know mm-hmm. what happened. To say it might be traumatic might be too much, like, too too strong of a wording, but mm-hmm. kind it's of... It's a little PG. Yeah. It would be yeah. jarring. Too, too intense. Yeah, too jarring. For the sake of refraining from being redundant, these are points that we brought up, so I won't necessarily comment on them here. But yeah, thank you for thank you for sharing your perspective on that. And if anyone listening has uh, other thoughts on this whole debate, we'd really appreciate feedback on that, uh, continuing from this. But going to the rest of the episode, Ryan's and my review of these three episodes hasn't focused on, on a lot of the funny lines, but there are some really, really great lines in here. One thing that Ryan and I brought up a lot is that we absolutely love Timmy. His innocence... And the way he approaches things is really adorable. Yeah. <laughs> and that's brought out in the second to last episode where everyone's arguing about what to do for the attic. And he says, I think we should make it a dog grooming parlor. Yeah, those were those yeah. were fun moments of just, you know what? Timmy wants a pet. <laughs> I know. It is very obvious. And then they just completely ignore him because they're bit too busy arguing. And then Timmy's like, well, if you don't like that idea, maybe we can just make the whole thing a giant fish tank. Which played out in the haiku for today's episode because it's just so, <laughs> I am so happy about dang that. adorable. I know. I love him so much. And he is, he might be, I still want to figure out who my favorite Morrison is. I think right now it might be Timmy. But I just love them all so much because their personalities are so well-defined. Yes. And one thing Ryan and I brought out, I don't know if you want to comment on this, Hannah, is that because they're all cooped up together, their personalities are a lot more intense as far as they relate to each other. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It's sort of um, bringing out pieces of them that normally like they can get sort of uh, have space and thus not be like trampling on each other. Whereas here it's it's kind of pushing them in in places where you know it's challenging them in ways that they don't normally um experience challenge yeah and it's not just that they're all cooped up with each other they all have to work simultaneously on a similar project Mm -hmm. that requires cooperation which situations of cooperation generally brings out people's similarities and differences simultaneously and each of their ideas for it are very connected to their personalities yes decluttering is honestly a a huge interest for me the the concept of a group decluttering project is (laughs) plenty of fuel for for conflict because you have Mm -hmm. 
you have to make group decisions on everybody's stuff. Whereas like, you know, if it's you're decluttering your own room, your own space, you're making those decisions for yourself, but you're decluttering a group space. And so it's easier, like it, it's very easy to say, no, I want to keep all my stuff. You should get rid of your stuff. You know, it, there's there's a lot more cooperation necessary and, you know, decluttering being very difficult for any one person to do. And then you have all of those people dealing with all of those decisions all at the same time. Like that is that is a recipe for lots of conflict. One thing that I thought was interesting about the end of the second episode is when John and Mary come in when the kids are arguing and previously they'd kind of let them go at it and figure it out by themselves. But when Justin changes the channel, which is a a weird move for Justin because he's usually not that pushy. Mm -hmm. And then John and Mary come in and they say, no, how would you feel if she changed the channel? And then to Haley about, well, you need to be understanding because Justin, this is also something that Justin wants because it's a simple reminder for them that because you live together, you need to act like you do or you need to, you need to love each other. And that was the, I think that was in the clip of the day for the, the last episode. Right, Ryan? Yeah, I think so. I appreciate the perspective that the parents had there, you know, the helping each other to develop character and also develop empathy for the other person. That was that was a very I, I really appreciated that parenting decision. Speaking of another parenting decision that I also appreciate something throughout the series is that the parents are OK to be wrong about things. And although yeah. I think their discretion is great on a lot of their choices, the heart behind that is what's important here. And that ties into the final clip of the day for season one. So, Ryan, would you like to go ahead with that? Yes. One moment. My child threw my phone at one point. <laughs> we don't have an excuse. And before we say anything else, we need to ask you to forgive us. Forgive you for what? for not following the example of our children and welcoming you with open arms into this community and for not allowing the kids back here once we found out that they'd met you. So that's what happened. To tell you the truth, Grace, well, we didn't know if they'd be safe down here. I don't blame you. I know what people say about me. What reason do you have to trust me? But what reason did we have not to trust you? The line that really stood out to me about that clip is the final one. What reason do you have to trust me? Well, what reason do we have not to? And when I first heard that, I thought, well, you'd have many reasons to not trust somebody. It, I, I can understand not wanting to trust somebody you don't know. But the point that Mary brings out after that is that we need to be neighborly and loving in Christ because trust is something we can extend to other people. Um, even if we don't know them, not trusting somebody right off the bat it's generally not a great idea because that inhibits our ability to love. And if we still, in our trusting of people, make it so that we're okay, even if we get hurt, it's a sacrifice we can make because we want to love. Even if Grace had turned out to be someone who did have malicious intent, if the Morrisons reached out, they didn't know, they wouldn't know what was going to happen. But by reaching out, they did help her and sort of bring her out of her loneliness and show christian love to her as far as the idea of trusting somebody i appreciate the morrison's take that it's not about well i don't have a good reason to trust you so i'll distrust you there can be like this gray i don't not trust you but i don't trust you state mm -hmm. that you can be in and that's where most neighbors are before they meet each other right 
And the problem here is that they actively distrusted due to the rumors they'd heard. Mm -hmm. And they were humble about that, which I appreciate. Yeah. What's interesting about the three of us is that we've talked ad nauseum about a topic on Odyssey that involves trust and reconciliation (laughs) and and harm and dangerous people. And what's so great, what's the, the bomb of Gilead for me is that this is a completely different scenario where it's okay to be open and it's okay to be vulnerable even with people who are jerks and terrible and stuck up from the beginning of the review series with the unlovables to this one with grace and how and how the parents approach her it's so different from what i'm used to talking about and i'm i'm realizing that i kind of have a not too great mentality about trusting people after odyssey but this is this is helping honestly yeah this is this is making me so happy this was like as a kid my unpopular opinion was that uh, Down Gilead Lane was my favorite um, audio drama and that over and above Adventures in Odyssey. Yes. Also, Baby's here, by the way. <laughs> it makes me happy. And that was even back when um, Adventures in Odyssey was in a really good era. I think it was the Paul Herlinger era. So, you know, fantastic episodes and stuff. But I still loved Down Gilead Lane more. And so it makes me happy to hear other people saying very nice <laughs> things about my childhood favorite yes, audio drama. Yes. There are quite a few of us still out there, but it's it's hard to find us here and there. <laughs> the final thing that I want to talk about in this three-part review, and maybe if you can provide some insight to this too, but the first part of these three episodes is the trial. We don't know exactly what the case is, but John Morrison is the judge in a case involving a young girl and Dr. James Kramer comes back to town, and the young girl has had some head trauma, so James Kramer, who's an expert on the subject, comes in, and the attorney who speaks against, or who cross-examines him, gotta say, he does a fantastic job at cross-examination. Every single thing he says is exactly what you're supposed to do, and it's super effective, regardless of whether I agree with his position or not. Well-written scene. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And he also plays the sleazy lawyer as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. but like I don't, I don't hate Can him. Can you though. please tell the court that you're wrong? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's if I were on his side, like I know there are lawyers who get paid to do that, and they don't necessarily agree with right. the case. So I don't, I don't fault him for saying that. It was, it was really entertaining to be like somebody who kind of knows how court scenarios go and think, well, wow, that was a really well written court scene, right? Because Randy Heckman is a judge. I did not know that. Yeah. Good yeah, I'm know. pretty sure he is. Either that or he's a lawyer or something like that. But he that was kind of why John Morrison is a judge, because he is. It makes sense why the, the storyline, like the that story aspect is written very convincingly. Yes. So after that, John is trying to figure out why the whole town is upset at Dr. Kramer and also what this has to do with Grace, because they start getting calls from a mysterious voice. And you can wait till the end of the podcast to hear our discussions on who that voice actually is. Done, done, done. So their concern over this this caller is what leads John to investigate in the next couple episodes because things are just getting really, really weird. And he ends up calling Dr. Kramer and Dr. Kramer says there was nothing wrong with Grace. And that sort of leads to the idea that he was pressured into saying what he said. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. So we won't get any more of this plot for a while. I think the season two finale has something to do with it. Do you rem- do you remember that at all? I do not recall when exactly. Things sort of unfolded slowly over the next 
uh, few seasons. I do, however, vividly remember the first time Ryan heard this season. Mm-hmm. He was so salty about not <laughs> hearing what Yeah, happened. we talked about that. You have, a t- that. you have a testimony of two witnesses <laughs> to my salt. <laughs> it was so fun to, to see Ryan get so salty about it <laughs> because I knew like that it would take a while. And then when we listened through it, not so the first time we listened to the season we listened via my my parents um physical album and then later we purchased all the albums and listened through them and so when we listened through them later Ryan was like okay finally i can find out what happened <laughs> <laughs> and uh when it was finally revealed he was like yes now i can finally you know when yes. they were like okay this is it Ryan was so excited and mm-hmm. i had so much fun like watching him discover the mystery. Listen, yeah. yeah, listen through and find all the spoilers and mm-hmm. stuff. I want to make that my final comment on these episodes. First, I want to talk about Mr. Key real quick because he's in the final episode. And interestingly, his name, Mr. Key, is a metaphor. Because he holds the key? Yes, actually. That's actually what his name means because he's one of the only ones who knows what happened. Interesting. I had never caught that. Yes. Yeah. But there are lines about him liking lemon coffee cake and Mrs. Morrison's bringing it over. And there was a little scene where he's talking to himself and we get his catchphrase. Oh, rutabaga. <laughs> I don't know. I really like him. But yes, moving on to what you had talked about, I have written down in my notes that we're getting little pieces of what the mystery is. And this isn't something that's crazy technical in terms of plot or insane plot twists, but it's something relatively simple that because we're only getting little pieces here and there and because we care about the characters as we go on the reveal is amazing and the stakes that lead up to what the reveal is are exactly what we need to push the characters in a direction that takes the show in like a really to a really really great place and the episodes that talk about what actually happened are my actual favorite episodes of the show so i'm really really glad that this plot was both Something intriguing and something fulfilling in the end. It is a really cool like way that they introduce and hype up the mystery of it. And and they don't disappoint. So as we go on, maybe we'll have you back for that one in the future, Hannah, when we finally talk about what all of this mystery actually means. Because I'm really excited if we actually end up doing this podcast to that point. Because one, I'll question my sanity of doing this podcast for that long. But two, it'll be really fun to talk about those episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd enjoy that. Yeah. Well, any last thoughts on this episode before we close out the discussion? Honestly, I think this kind of three episode climax of the season, it is the best story bit of the entire season. And it's sort of like, mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate how, you know, you kind of have some some build up episodes, but then you have like this fantastic trifecta right at the end. And it's sort of, it, it takes, it wraps up the album in a really great package and delivers it to the audience it's 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 a phenomenal job the fact that it does so while still delivering three concise moral messages along the way Mm -hmm. is great it's one thing that comparing going back to the whole thing that i have with three parters or two parters is that here each episode stands on its own despite being part of a certain three-parter as far as like side story goes, mm-hmm. it still tells singular stories while telling the the larger story. 
and it does a really good job at it. Yes. What I have written down for these episodes as sort of my thesis, and I'll I'll leave the review on this note, is that Beth Culp knows how to write an imperfect family in less than ideal scenarios that brings out world building and personality that she alone brings to the series that results in a formula that, in my opinion, does not fail. And I'll continue to point that out as we go through this fantastic series. Agreed. Yes. And with that, season one is finished. Hannah, thanks for jumping on this uh, guest review with us. This was really, really fun to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And Ryan, what do you think? We've reviewed all of a season of Down Gilead Lane, I think in pretty good detail. On to season two. Uh, There are 12 of these. Anyway, (laughs) not counting the specials. We have special news about what's going to be happening I think either tomorrow or this coming weekend. I'll have yet to see on what the release schedule is going to be for this. A time in the future. Yes. We're going to be interviewing somebody. Yes. But for now, Ryan, how can listeners get in touch with us if they want to talk about Return to Gilead or about Down Gilead Lane? There's a bunch of links in our link tree, which Mm -hmm. is connected to the Instagram and the anchor.fm. The link tree will take you to anywhere you need to go. And one of those cool places you could go is also the fan page. Another thing in the link tree that you might not know about is the DGL stats spreadsheet. I've compiled a list of all the information from every episode, every crew member in every episode. And I'm working on the cast right now as we go through these episodes. So as the reviews go on, there'll be complete character lists and uh, generally complete actor lists. It's kind of hard to know who's in each episode, but... There's, there's a lot of information on there I recommend you check out. So if you're curious who wrote or directed or whatever an episode of Down Gilead Lane, it's there, and it's a lot of data, but it exists, and mm-hmm. I'm still blown away you put that together. It is oh, very yeah. impressive. I am super happy with it. So for next time, the next review we're going to be doing is the start of Season 2. The first episode is called Pride Comes Before the Fall Festival. But the next podcast or the next big thing that we have, Ryan, who are we interviewing? Randy Heckman. Yes, he is the executive producer of the first five seasons of Down Gilead Lane, and I'm so happy he's going to be here on the podcast. It's going to be a really, really fun interview. So tune in for that. In the meantime, I'm Michael. And I'm Ryan. And I'm Hannah. Thank you so much for joining us for this season of Down Gilead Lane Reviews, and we hope you'll come back next time as we once again return to Gilead. Spoiler warning here. This is going to be at the end. Is the voice who's calling over the phone, is that Tom Richter? Yes. Oh. It is never actually said. That that is true. Like, technically, we never find out. But the likelihood that it is probably Tom Richter is very, very high. Because Grace, like the parents say, we know who's on the phone right after they talk to Grace. And all Grace would be sharing is what went down with Tom Richter. And so she would be sharing that and then they would know, okay, so the Richters are trying to cover this up, mm. which means that really our only options, since it's a male voice, are Tom Richter or Caleb Richter. (laughs) And it's probably Tom Richter. Since Caleb doesn't know as much. Um, And also Grace receives her own call um, later on. Mm -hmm. But who, oh yeah, who was that? Do you think that was the same person? It was also not revealed to the audience, 
But it happened right after Tom Richter found out that Grace would be the special speaker at the the event. Oh, like later on in the series? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. And especially like oh, here right, right. when the when the parents hear or when the parents get the call that says keep the kids away from Grace, it's right after Maya hears that they're hanging out with Grace. Yes, yeah, so I know it's connected to Tom. I'm just not sure if it was him exactly, but anyway. Him or him or a voice actor that he paid. <laughs> Ronan Conlinson. Roland, I think this is <laughs> anyway. Nope. That's yeah. our that's our spoiler corner for this episode. So <laughs> thanks guys. Mm-hmm.